The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up and I've already made around two, three hundred dollars. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. episode of Stories from the Pack. Uh, my name is Ryan Hooper and on this episode I'm delighted to be joined uh, really by someone who you may be familiar with um, as a regular viewer of Soccer Saturday or from his columns in the Express and Star or on a Wolves um, point, uh, his documentaries uh, about Wolves or perhaps his latest book, uh, Bitten by Wolves. Uh, the gentleman that I'm describing is Johnny Phillips. Johnny, um, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, nice to be speaking to you. No, I know we're we're kind of I, I say it's time of recording just in case it's time sensitive, but I think I'm pretty confident that what I'm going to say now is going to be relevant when it goes out. Obviously, football's on on pause at the moment, so yeah, I guess this, how are things for yourself at the moment? It's it's very quiet, obviously, with Sky. Um, we have we are running a sort of skeleton soccer Saturday program, so we've been able to put a little bit of content out, but in terms of Going up and down the country, uh, doing a couple of matches a week, a couple of interviews a week. It, it's it's nothing like that anymore. It's it's the odd one over Zoom, so it is incredibly quiet. Okay. I, I didn't mention, we had a brief chat just before we came on, but you're doing football quizzes as well, aren't you, online? That's right, yeah. I do, I do one on YouTube on a Tuesday night, which has, has got a, a, a steady uh, following with quite a good breadth of knowledge in it as well there's some lots of people who know their football out there but it's good fun to do that nine o'clock on a Tuesday night passes the time I do it with my Sunday league team the week before so it's like a Sunday league quiz that I've put on YouTube as well brilliant brilliant uh, fantastic I mean we, we wanted to get you on really for, for, for a number of reasons Johnny on this series it's it's still relatively new in its infancy but the, the premise behind the, the series stories from the pack is really talking to fans um, about their experience about the highs and lows and I think it really sort of ties in with um, 
I, I was reading your, your book recently, I mentioned uh, Bitten by Walls, and it's described as, um, I think, stories from the soul of Molyneux. And we can probably get a little bit nostalgic and a bit sort of, I don't know how, how a bit um, emotional about it, but for me, talking about football and soul is, is, is resonates with me because this is what it's all about. You know, with, with football, it's, it's not just in, talk, in terms of Wolves, your Ruben Neves, your, your Matinios. It's, the, it's so much more than that. And, and when I picked up your book, what I loved about it was you talk to, uh, you know, Graham Hughes or someone I'll be familiar with um, uh, at the Wars historian who's sort of a lifelong, um, anybody who's come into contact with him will love Richard Skiro, who spent 20 years, the landlady. And to me, what was wonderful was Wars is your Steve Ball, it is your Billy Wright, it is your Floodlight Games, but Wars is a fan, it's so much more than that, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's it's a unique club in the sense that it is very much um, rooted in its community. Uh, it's a it's a city centre club, which always helps geographically. Uh, it's been a pillar of the community for a long time. It's also been, at its worst, an embarrassment for the community, but it's been a constant presence there. And I think, um, I, I was, I'm really keen, I was really pleased, rather, that you said that uh, in terms of... Um, the, the flavour you got from it, because I wanted to convey that it, it is more about than just the footballers and the managers who, who walk through the, the main gates and who walk onto the pitch. It's about the people who are there very often a lot, lot longer than players and managers uh, and who live and breathe the club uh, and the servants behind the scenes as well. If servants is the wrong word. It, it makes it sound like uh, sort of you, you're serving something when you're not, when you, you're actually enriching something and I think the, the secretaries the landladies Graham Hughes you mentioned they've all enriched Wolves uh, and it's a better club for those people uh, and their part in the club is, is very very important and I think this is key really and and, and, and reading the book the, as, as you say you know what I gained from it was that it's football is all encompassing and and, and, and there's, there's so much you know you you, you know you're the star names and the star players will rightly get um, the credit and they'll get the recognition. So in the book, for example, you'll speak to um, Steve Ball, you'll speak to Kenny Hibbert, real court heroes. But you'll also talk talk to the Neely men in there as well, who perhaps you know were on the fringes. And you'll talk about the good and the bad. And this is really what we do on on this series. So um, if you haven't purchased the book, go and purchase it. It's an optimum time as we're in lockdown 2020. There's no better time to to pick up the book. Um, and I'm, sincerely, as I said to you before. It's a brilliant book and it's wonderful in terms of the content. There's so much, so we won't give too much away other than the fact that I think that the, the, the perfect narrative is the fact that it's the soul of Molyneux because you go from players to secretaries to fans. It's fantastic. So just just in terms of the book, because there's so much detail to it, um, I guess two questions really. When, when did you start um, putting together the content uh, to, to the book? And sort of how long was that duration? Um... It was it was quite um, it was quite a nice sort of time frame. I'd had the idea for a number of years, and and uh, as the sort of Fosun revolution took place, um, I thought it would be a good opportunity, a good moment in the club's history to put something out because it's a club that's changing very much in front of our eyes. So, come the come the May that Wolves were promoted. Uh, I pretty much got to work on it and wrote it over the course of the first season back in the Premier League under Fosun. 
uh, and finished it off around the May time uh, when that season finished as well. So it's a sort of 12 month project done over that very first season back in the Premier League. Um, and it sort of came together quite well around that because a lot of the chapters um, I discussed the, the state the club is in at the moment in time. And, and at certain moments, I was speaking to certain people ahead of um, particularly memorable games or uh, moments in, in that first season. Uh, although very little of it's made up of the first season, it was it, it proved a nice sort of um, backdrop to it, if you like. No, fantastic. Um, as I say, it's it's really well worth worth a read. I, I, I loved it. And I think, you know, what I want to get over really on, on, on this series is really the the character and sort of the rich sort of tapestry about being a fan and 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 and, and what it means to be to be a fan um, and and really moving on to, to yourself, Johnny. What's your earliest memories of being a fan and 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 where did your Wolves story start? Well, I was an out of towner, still am actually. Um, coming from Liverpool, it was like so many people. If, if if you don't pick your local club, you pick tend to pick the one. Uh, that's handed down to you. And so my dad was a Wolves fan. Uh, he got the bug in the 50s when uh, Wolves were flying. He was a bit of a glory hunter. He was living in London at the time. Uh, and he just went along to see them play Tottenham Hotspur, who were his own uh, local club when he moved to London as a kid uh, from Ireland. And he just loved the kits. He loved the name Wolves. He loved the gold kit. Uh, and he got hooked and went to watch them whenever they played in London. And then he moved to Liverpool uh, met my mum and settled in Liverpool and has lived there ever since. So it, it, it was handed down by my dad. And um, my, my first sort of memories of, of basically being asked, asking him to go, really, he never tried to get me into Wolves. And there was a lot of Liverpool in my childhood in the 80s. Liverpool were all around. They were so huge. Um, but I, I was just fascinated every now and then he'd disappear with a couple of mates and go and watch this team, Wolves. Uh, so I was just fascinated and, and I asked him to go along one day and it was a it was an FA Cup game way back in 1983 uh, that he took me along to a third round game. And I, I remember little about the match other than it being a very muddy pitch. Kenny Hibbert scored. Um, it was the sort of tail end of the good team and the start of the bad team, as it were. Uh, I vividly remember the, the football special pulling into Rock Ferry Station and sort of these huge amounts of loud, noisy Wolves fans disgorging off the train. They had football specials back in that in those mm -hmm. days. Trains that were literally just chartered by football fans to take them to away days. Uh, they they quickly went out of service when the hooliganism got too bad and they started getting trashed too much. But they were big trains in those days. So that was the colour uh, and, and the thing that got me hooked, really. Um, and then whenever... Wolves were playing in the lower divisions at places like Chester and Wigan and Tranmere and Bolton. As a kid, I used to go and watch them. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't until a few years later, it wasn't until 1987, that I got to Molyneux for the first time. And I, I think this is it as well, Johnny. I mean, when I, I think of my, my first match and I try and trace it back, I, I can't tell you we even played, to be honest. I, I vaguely think it may have been Oxford, but, but what I remember is, is so much about that experience that I kind of felt as if, I was my, my dad took me. My dad's um, always been a Wolves fan, and I felt as if I was in his exclusive club. And I, I got taken into the pub, and I, it was probably the first time I did my dad swear. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I like this. This is a little bit different. This is and and you know there was the slacking and the guys were slacking off their workplace and the wives and so forth. And there was that mystique about it that because I guess it wasn't as as prominent and Wolves were, were certainly struggling. 
but it's it's that experience, isn't it? Really, of of going to Molyneux for the for the first time. So, um, what were your first impressions of Molyneux? Do you remember? I remember being blown away by the South Bank, really, because mm. uh, we walked up uh, the Waterloo Road uh, with the old Waterloo Road stand on the left, which was you know uh, out of use, still in use for the changing rooms and. Uh, the administrative staff, but there were no fans going into it. Uh, uh, and we walked, we'd, we'd walked past initially the, the sort of the disused North Bank stands as well. And there didn't seem to be massive crowds there. It was for, it was a, a fixture against Leighton Orient in December 87. I think it was a big game at the bottom of Division 4, but um, sorry, at the top end of Division 4 as it was then. So there was a reasonable crowd, but nothing like what they get now. And then just walking uh, round the corner, paying to get in into the South Bank uh, and seeing it just open up in front of me, really, as you walked up the terrace. And it just, you know, as, as a kid, it's just so vast. It, the, the South Bank was just so vast. And it was um, and it was picking that point. We, we walked right up to the back and, and along a bit. Uh, and the pitch just seemed miles and miles away mm-hmm. down below. Um, uh, and that, that sort of memory of that game sticks with me vividly. Uh, Steve Ball got two of the goals that day. We won. But it's the South Bank. It really struck me that day. Um, and, and from a distance, the floodlights as well, I guess. Um, we had great big floodlights in those days. And you could see them from miles around, even even though the stands themselves weren't as impressive as they are now. But, yeah, the South, that South Bank for the first time was, was pretty special. I think it is. I think, as well, you mentioned sort of previously in terms of um, the ground and where that's situated, and I think that's so much about the club. And I know we're biased, but everybody listening is, is in the same aim uh, sheet, really. On, on on this, there's something about a football club and, and a community, and the fact that, that, that geographically as well. And I think you meant, mentioned that in the, the piece as well. That the fact that you where it is, you know, that you can walk to the pubs, and you know, you've got. Sort of the, the church close to town, and you've got the streets, and you've got Whit Marines, and you got, you've got different areas of of walls socially. And the football club is just such a heart of that. And you know, I remember um, going to say Main Road as well, and I draw comparisons with with Main Road in terms of that ground that it was down you sort of typical stereotypical northern streets and your alleyways and so forth, but it. There was a buzz about that, and and you don't. I know that this, I know for someone like yourself who's probably been to more grounds than than, than I have. It's it, it's such a, a fantastic place to watch football. I think that's part of it, isn't it? It's such a feel of it. I know things have moved on with the ground itself, but I just love the fact of where it is because it just feels such a heartbeat of the the community. Definitely, um, it's it's a natural amphitheatre as well, isn't it? I mean, you know. Mm. The, the South Bank was built into the hill then, and it sort of fitted in its place as well. Aesthetically, it, it, it sort of it, it felt like a fit. That was the place in Wolverhampton Centre where you would have a football ground if you're going to have one. Um, and because it's so central, there's no getting away from it, which when things are going well is brilliant. Uh, and you can see that now. As the, as the club have various fan zones on the way into Molyneux between the city centre uh, and, you know, what they've done with the subway and that partnership with the university and, and tarting that up. And they've made it uh, sort of place where you sort of, it's almost a magnet to go to. And they've been clever about that, the way the club have done that. And that's how it works. But in the bad times, it's, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a reminder that you can't get away as well. So for all that it, it was, 
fantastic um, or it is fantastic to have the city centre location. In the bad times, it's a constant reminder of, of a failing football club, which is why I think it's um, it, it's so important uh, and it's so important to the community that in the good times, um, you enjoy having it there. And in the bad times, you almost can't get away. When the crowds dwindled, many of them will have walked past Wolves knowing that they weren't going there on a Saturday and they might, might have felt a pang of guilt. They might have felt disinterest. They might have felt as if the club deserted them. Um, but there's no escaping Wolves in a city like Wolverhampton. Whereas at other clubs, I mean, even Liverpool, where I'm from, you could escape Liverpool and Everton. They're out in a suburb away from the city, a sort of 40, 45 minute walk away from the city centre. There is a way of avoiding it. But you can't avoid Wolves if you're from Wolverhampton and if you live and breathe Wolverhampton. And I think that's great. I think that's a good thing because it makes the club more accountable to the people of the city. Yeah, and I, and I think this is the thing, as you say, you know, I'm someone who is probably about 15, 20 minutes away from the ground, sort of as I'm speaking to you now, and the the fact that, you know, you go around the, the, the city centre, I mean, it, to me, it's always a town centre, but that, that's that's a trivial point. And, you know, in fact, you go around the ring road and it's there, and you mentioned the subway, and, and it's great what they've done with the subway, because it, it did used to be infamous. I, I, I saw bits of it, but I was probably a little bit too, too young to see a lot of that sort of subculture and, and what would go on in the subway. And there was the infamous stories from away fans and the, the intimidation, but it, but it had a, a rawness and a character to it, but they've still kept that and they've, they've flipped that on its head in such a fantastic way and made it a, a family experience. So no, I mean, it's, it's, it's just great talking about the ground. And, the, and to me, it's just, it, it's, it's took many different guises, but it, it, it brings so many different emotions, good, bad, and, and, and different memories. Um, in, it, what we always look at really is, is, is the highs and lows. And, 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 and Walls is, is described in your book. And, and as people know, God, I mean, it's a story and a half and there's so many. But um, we'll, we'll sort of end on a positive. So if I ask you, first of all, what, as a football fan, or as a Walls fan specifically, what's been sort of your lowest moment following Walls, would you say? I, I can pin it down to one game by an absolute mile. Um, no doubt it's the second leg of the Bolton Wanderers playoff in 1995. Um, it was a time in my life uh, when I, I was, I'd become a student. Um, so I had a student grant to mess around with. I had disposable income of sorts and, and a level of freedom that I hadn't had in childhood. Um, and I... I was a season ticket holder that year. It was 120 quid a student season ticket. Um, so it's uh, the first year I had a season ticket and everything. I'd met some new Wolves mates at university. I was at Leeds University. Everything revolved around the club. And we had this um, manager in Graham Taylor and financial backing at last in Sir Jack Hayward. It felt like we were going places. Uh, and all the way through, it felt like we were going somewhere, even as, as, as we sort of limped into the playoffs with some sort of, you know, Keystone Cops defending draws. I think we had about three, three or draws in the run-in. And it was, but it was great. It was crazy. Uh, and we, we definitely had the team in the playoffs to go through. And I remember I didn't go to the first leg. I had, I had an important exam, I think, the next day. I didn't go to the first leg at Molyneux when we gave them the run-around. But the second leg, uh, I, I went over from Leeds for met my dad and his mates uh, and, we, and we stood on that terrace, which is a terrible, terrible open terrace at Burnham Park. Uh, it, you know, people listening to this have never been. It was uncovered. Half of it 
uh, was a superstore, a, a, a Normid superstore, I think it was called. So it was one heart side of the goal you couldn't actually get to. You were shoved in a corner on, on this half terrace. Uh, and on that particular night, the rain was coming down. The, the wind was whipping up uh, and, and it was, a, it was a horrible place to be. And then to lose it in the way we did in extra time um, in a game that we probably didn't do ourselves justice in to a Bolton side. who were just up for it on the night and, and, and their fans you know, got them up for it. It was, it was just low. I remember thinking just how devastated I was thinking this, this could really, um, this could have been the moment the team could have really gone anywhere. And at the time um, I was devastated that the season ended like that without even a Wembley playoff, you know, that it ended like that. But I think over looking back now, I think history has probably proved that it was more than just losing that game. Wolves didn't recover from that for a long, long time. Uh, it set them back as a club a long, long way. And you only have to look at the success Bolton had. They did come down the following year, but then got back up again. And the, the long spell they had in the Premier League and the club Bolton Wanderers became. Uh, you can all point to that night. Um, and that it's, it's, um, it was a long time ago. It was 25 years ago, but it still, it's, it's still a defeat that... Um, I remember vividly, and perhaps it was only really purged a couple of years ago when, when we went up to Bolton and won the championship title with that four 0 win at their new ground. Uh, I was I was working there that day, and I, it probably did feel like at last uh, at last we've seen the back of Bolton Wanderers because they became a thorn in our side and a, an interesting rivalry developed after that. But it was a it was a bad bad night. Yeah, I mean. For- for me, I, I went, I, it was the reverse. I went to that, that home game, as you, as you rightly say, where I think Peter Shorten came out of retirement and just had the most amazing game. And we were brilliant. We were really sort of on it. And, and it should have been five or six. And that, that's not an exaggeration. And then, I don't know if you remember, Wars were doing beanbacks on the video walls. So I, I watched it from... Um, right, yeah, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, I watched it from the, the, the Steve Ball, uh, John Ireland, perhaps as it was then, um, and, and watched it on a grainy screen and, and, and saw the images. But I think, as you say, you know, it, it kind of builds the character when it's a, you know, it's a shitty night and it's kind of hit your wind and everything kind of comes together and it's that moment. But I also think what's interesting, Johnny, which I, I, when I spoke to... The poor Barry, when I did his, and I was thinking about this today when I was speaking to my dad. I think Wolves is, is, is always our team, but I think when you're at a point, there's probably a point in everyone's life when it's like, this is my team, this is my Wolves team. So when I speak to my dad, he's still a Wolves fan now, but he was he's not as heavily uh, involved and emotionally attached, if that makes sense, to yeah. to, to the side of, say, the Wagstaff and the Dugan. So he loves how it is now, but he can get over a result. And I, I find it interesting, as you say, your time of your, your life, that you're a student, you're a season to get hold of the time. I think it feels so much more then, doesn't it, when it's kind of you're at a point in your life following the club, when you're a season to get hold of, when you're regular, that, I don't know, it just kind of feels more, if that makes sense. Because it it's kind of, yeah. Sense. Yeah, it does, absolutely. And there are a lot of players still in that team from my sort of, my first team, although I went to see them in the, uh, my first game was 83. I don't really count that as my first Wolves team. It was only when I went um, uh, three or four years later that uh, um, I sort of, I look at my first Wolves team as the, the one in Division 4. And there were still players in in that uh, team it, knocking around in 95. Robbie Dennison uh, w- was there and Steve Bull 
uh, was there, a, a Mike Stowling goal who came a little bit later. Um, and you're right, um, it, it's, it does feel like your team and they feel like your players. Steve Balls and still does feel like my hero, but of course, obviously, he's 50,000 other people's heroes as well, which is... Um, but it did feel like your heroes were failing um, or, or, or were being denied the opportunity in the Premier League. And it did it did hurt more. Whereas um, even just two years later, you know, even two years later under Mark McGee, when we went out at the playoffs, I was travelling at the time. I was travelling around the world and it was in the pre-internet days. I didn't even know. I, I was flying back around the day or two of the second leg. I didn't even know Wolves had been knocked out of the playoffs until I landed and asked me dad and he just told me... Um, I didn't know we'd gone out, um, but that didn't feel as bad because the team was mm. changing a bit more. And it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't feel like my first team and my sort of um, the, the, the players I was as familiar with. And then um, much later on, as, as you get much older and you have kids of your own, you're right. You, you're not quite as invested in it uh, as, as you are um, when you're sort of young, free and single. Uh, and still quite impressionable as well. And I think that is important because you do feel the defeats uh, harder um, in, in the early days in a way that you don't uh, as you grow older. And I think that's right. And I think it's also the context of it, isn't it? Because, you know, the Bolton example was the fact that at that, at that time we, you know, we'd, we'd invested heavily, you know, we spent a, a lot of money and it kind of felt like a bookmark moment where it was kind of now or never, where, for example, in recent times when we lost the semi-finals to Watford, God, that was gutting. But I was, I'm not going to say I was all right with it because you're never all right losing a, a semi-final. But I could kind of put that in its box and say, because I had a similar experience to you with Bolton and, and the Palace and so forth. And because I knew where Wolves were or are now, I could kind of deal with it a bit more as well. And, and, and perhaps that's, that's years of experience as well, being a little bit hardened and kind of putting it in, in perspective. But also because I kind of thought, well, this isn't the, uh, how can I put it, this isn't the, we're not going to be a stranger to, to, to Wembley as, as I saw it then because of how well the team was doing as well. Perhaps not on that sort of knife edge as, as it was um, against Bolton. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I took a lot out of that Watford playoff, uh, sort of that Watford FA Cup semi-final, you know. I'd been, it was the first time me and my dad had both been to see Wolves at Wembley. Um, and all the build-up to it was brilliant. He, he came down from Liverpool for the weekend, stayed with us. I met a few mates in the pub beforehand in London, and we all went to the game together. And, and pretty much up until the 80th minute, I was having the best day of my life. It was just yeah. brilliant. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a gutting way to lose it. And Wolves over time have shown me many, many ways of losing a game and breaking my heart. And it was a new way. I'll give Watford that. <laughs> found a new way to, uh, to, to break my heart. And, uh, and Wolves chalked up another of those moments but I thought I was gutted I was gutted when we lost because I, I was thinking of the final and what could have been but I parked it quickly like like you I was probably able to park it quickly and I probably took away a lot more from that day um, than perhaps other people you know I remember the crowds walking up Wembley Way and singing Si Senor it was absolutely buzzing singing singing that all the way up the stands and all the way up to your seats and it was just I, I took a lot out of that day. It was a bad day. We, we lost the semi-final. We, we, you know, it was bad. But I took far more out of that day, certainly, than the semi-final under McGee against Arsenal, which was the dampest oh. of damp squibs. Uh, that, that, I was more annoyed at that than, than upset. I, I found that a really dispiriting, annoying experience. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll get on the positives in a minute, but we've got to talk about that because you've just <laughs> reminded me of it, and and it's something that that's been talked about, and I, and I and it wasn't it was a disappointment because I remember going to the ground with my dad as well, and it was brilliant. It was the first time, probably it was the first time we'd been to Villa Park. Certainly, you know, we'd kind of hit we were around in and around the quarters, weren't we, over those those years, and then and then it kind of felt as if it was the next advance, and then it was a team selection. And then it was the early goal, and it was just like, oh, really? <laughs> I think that was the feel for that day. But you know, it was it was it was a it was a tough one to take. But many highs and lows. But as I say, we'll we'll move on to your highs now, because um, there are a number. Well, I guess really the the way I would phrase it is, at what point did you think, oh my god, it doesn't get be- any better than this being a Wolves fan? What was that moment when you you know you thought? Shit, this is good. This is worth it all. Well, that's it's funny you should say that because the first time I really thought that it wasn't a particularly spectacular game or spectacular season, but it was just a, a good personal note. And I think so many supporters, it, it's about as much who you're with when you go go enjoy your time and who who you're around, who's around you, and, and where your life is at that point. It, this is such a run of the mill game. It was towards the end of either the 1991 or the 91-92 season in, in the old second division, um, what's the championship now, under Graham Turner. And we had a middling mid-table side and we went away to Blackburn Rovers one night and it was Kenny Dalglish's Blackburn and they'd spent a fortune. Uh, trying. To, it was the year they got promoted. And we went away clinging to playoff hopes. And um, I, was, I was still at school then and we, uh, I had some... Again, exams always seem to come into it. I had some big exams on the horizon, but I persuaded my dad to, to biff off the revision and, and take me to Blackburn away. It was a, a midweek Tuesday night. And what we used to do uh, when I was a kid, we used to turn up uh, and just pay in the day in the home end at these places like Blackburn mm-hmm. and Wigan and wherever it may be, because it was always pay on the day. And quite often, Wolves would have a good away following and sell out. Or if they didn't sell out, They'd be made all ticket for away fans. And it was just an easy way of getting in and keeping quiet. And we went down to it. And because Blackburn were going for the promotion, the home end was sold out and it was all ticket. And I remember just being devastated. And then a policeman said, said who do you support? And we, you know, just he, he saw us trying to get into the match. And I said, Wolves. He said, oh, there's a bloke from the travel club selling a batch down at the, uh, at the Wolves turnstiles. I thought that's just brilliant, a, a, a sort of policeman helping us out like that. So we just raced down to the Wolves End at Blackburn. It was an old roof terrace in those days. And sure enough, there was a bloke who got off one of the coaches, right by all the coaches were parked up, with a, with a, a wadge of tickets. And so, so we bought two tickets for the terrace from him and went in. And what, why it was so great was that it, it was that moment. I persuaded my dad to go in. We almost didn't get in. We did get in. And then we played against this Blackburn team that spent a fortune, who went 1-0 up. Um, and then we equalised through Steve Ball. And any day you see a Steve Ball goal is a great day. So I always <laughs> love seeing Bully score. Uh, and then right, right in injury time, 1-1 would have been a great result. Right in injury time, um, Paul Birch, our old midfielder, who passed too soon, sadly. But Paul Birch took this pot shot from about 25, 30 yards away. It's another stinking day, rain hammering down, as it always seems to do in Lancashire. Uh, and they had a reserve keeper that day who just dropped it. He just dropped it over the line. It was an absolute clangor. And it went in and it was the, there was no right to reply for Blackburn. And I suppose because of Kenny Dalglish's Liverpool links, it made it more special for me to put one over a, a Liverpool icon. And I remember just being so happy that day. 
with my dad. I mean, it never came to anything. We finished in the table. Blackburn it got promoted, but it was just that moment on the terrace with your dad, seeing Bully mm. score and then seeing seeing Wolves win. Um, I remember that. I'll always remember that as a special day. And I think this is it. It's 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 the context behind it. And I think you know Wolves is is you know intertwined with events in your life. And and we started off um, this recording talking about. Um, your book, and we talked about uh, well, we may have, if we didn't, we will now about fan stories and some of the fans in there. You know, in terms of you know the heartache and the good times and the life, and how that links in with with football. And I see in terms of you know the ups and downs that I have, and kind of how that's flowed and stuff. And that's why, to me, I love doing this because it's great to catch up. It's great to talk about different games, perhaps those that you know won't be in the record books, but they mean something to everyone in their own individual way as well. Um, I guess before we, we, we close, um, favourite players, Bully, I guess, uh, has been mentioned. You can't look too far past Bully, can you? Yeah, Any uh, others I mean, of note? Or... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past Bully for, for all yeah. the reasons that everyone knows. There are others who um, I've sort of uh, loved down the years. Um, Paul Cook, um, Massive fan of Paul Cook, just a supremely gifted um, central midfielder um, from Liverpool as well. Uh, is a fantastic player uh, and used to play bully in with some uh, supply, sublime balls. Uh, in, in Mick McCarthy's team, um, I used to love Kitely, Michael Kitely. Um, uh, I was a big, big fan of Kites. It, but I, 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 was, I was too old then. I didn't have any heroes then, but I, I used to love watching him. Um, uh, and perhaps... Um, perhaps nowadays um, it, it would be João Moutinho who every time I still I've, I've seen loads of this Wolves team since uh, since they've been promoted to the Premier League mainly through work but also being able to go as a fan and every time João Moutinho walks onto the pitch I still think how on earth what on earth is he doing in a Wolves <laughs> kit he is just pretty much the, one of the most complete footballers I've ever seen uh, in terms of what he can do Um so yeah, my uh, my modern day hero would be would be Jean Moutinho. Um, I, I think I think we're so privileged to watch him, and it's why I think this break now, um, you know, without you know without speculating too much, it, it, the break will really hit players like Jean Moutinho. He's what 33, 33 and a half. Um, a, a break like this isn't isn't a good thing when you're at that age. Um, if um, things can change, you know, if you if he comes back six months older, it's six months older when you're 21. It's 21 and a half isn't that much, but when you're 33, 34, it could make a difference. I feel we're being we're being denied Jean Moutinho uh, in my life, which, which yeah. aside from all the other things, is something I don't want. <laughs> and I think that's the thing, really. I hadn't looked at it in that context because I guess selfishly, when it when it happened, I thought, God, if any team needs a break, it's it's us with the, the amount of games that we've had, but. But you're right, you know, there's those moments in his, his career and momentum's a massive thing in football as well. Um, I guess really with, uh, with your Liverpool connections in terms of the present day, I've got to talk about Cody as well. I mean, yeah. to, 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 to me, and I'll, I'll let you take this one up, but just a very quick one from me. Um, captains to me are so important. And we talked earlier about community, which I think is vitally important in the football club. And I think he's a big part of that because... Um, the type of guy he is, the type of leader that he is, you know, he, he just he's such a good representation of this football club. Yeah, it's such a great story what's happened to Connor Cody. Um, 
I think it was last season that he signed his new five-year contract as club captain. And it was virtually two years to the day since he'd come on as a sub in a home defeat to Wigan. And I remember going to that game and he, he wandered on as a sub, lost his man at a corner uh, who scored um, and off he trudged. And he must have been thinking that day, where is my career going? You know, where he's, you know, let go by Liverpool and we've pretty much become a utility player at Wolves, hadn't found a position to make his own. And then was, was a sort of uh, a sub, substitute who came on and, uh, and, all, and all he did was uh, play his part in another home defeat. Um, and then the, the turnaround uh, has just been spectacular. And he, he clearly bought into uh, what Nuno wanted very, very early. Uh, whether Nuno identified something in him about his dressing room leadership and his, his, his ability to gel players, I don't know. But certainly he spotted straight away what Nuno was all about. And it, I, you could argue it was possibly his last chance, his last shot at you know making making something of himself. And he's just been incredible. Um, the way he's led this team and the way he's he's become a pivotal member of the team. But also what he does, it, it's a team with a lot of foreign players. He, he, he takes it on upon himself to be the spokesman when others don't want to speak. He's always available for, uh, for a quote when they lose. Uh, he doesn't shirk. Um, I think he knows... You know, it's a combination with Connor Cody. I think he knows he's been lucky, but he... It, that, that would do him a disservice because he seized his chance. So maybe lucky or fortunate is the wrong word. He perhaps knows, he perhaps feels blessed that he's in this position now and he wants to savour every minute of it and he wants to treat the captain's role with the utmost respect. And we're lucky. We've had great captains down the years who, who treat the... I think I spoke to six of them when I wrote the book and they've all treated the role with great respect and being great ambassadors, the ones I've spoken to. We've had... We've had had the odd bad egg, but um, but Connor Cody, you know, is everything you could ask for in a club captain uh, and, and a leader, and I, I couldn't be happier for him. No, he's brilliant, and I think you're right. It's just it's just the perfect fit for, for Walls. So that that's the present day. Um, we, just before we wrap up, um, it's been a pleasure just going through sort of memory way and and, and talking about the past experiences. It sounds even more nostalgic at the moment that we're without football, but hopefully when it's safe and we're OK to, to, to proceed and press play again, we'll get back into football. But um, just before we say goodbye, from a, a fan cast perspective, um, obviously we've, we've, how things are at the moment, we're trying to bring out as much content as possible. So uh, we're continuing uh, with the stories from the PAC series. And as you've listened to um, on this episode, it gives fans an opportunity to share their views and, and really, you know, reminiscent about um, times gone by. So I'd encourage anybody who wants to get on board to do so. We've also got the Alternative Hall of Fame as well. Uh, when we again, we talk about sort of cult uh, figures from, from wars past and present. So have a look at those on, on the archives. Um, if you can give us a five-star rating as well on iTunes, um, we really do appreciate it. And we thank you for your support. So, um, Johnny, finally, thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. It's been lovely just to chat over uh, times. It's ne- it's it's never it's never a chore to chat about the wolves, is it? So no, it's it's been a pleasure as well. Brilliant. No, lovely. So from both of us, um, stay safe and uh, stay well, and we'll see you soon.
$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 